Almo, thank you just for bringing your faith um, and, and sowing into our congregation. We are here to learn from you this morning. We bless you. Great. It's nice to be here with you. What's the 2nd of Jan today? In Armona is not a bad place to be. Who of you still need to go back up north? Or to Somerset West. Some of my family are there. My brother and some, some recently married couples saw over there. Who of you have been recently married? Just clear. There we go. Don't be shy. It's a good thing to get married. Okay, great. So I'm, I'm excited about what God wants to do in 2022. I'm really excited. I hope you, all of you are excited. I, while I was praying, I felt like some of you are already tired. It's not even in the beginning of the year, you're already tired. Because the reason why we get tired, and we need to laugh about this, is because we put all the pressure on ourselves to perform. We think, okay, this is expected of me, this is my responsibility, whether it's business, dad, husband, newlywed, uh, finances, and I need to perform, else I'm not going to make it. Who of you feel like this? Every now and then I also do feel like that. But we need to start right, and we need to start unwind and unburden ourselves before the Lord so that we can actually do what God has called us to do. Because if, you, if you're stressed, if you're overwhelmed, you're not a good worker. And there's a lot of work to be done in 2022. God wants to advance His kingdom. He's always taking us from glory to glory. 2 Corinthians 3, it speaks of from glory to glory. It's never from glory back to 2022, of 2020, back to COVID. No, he's, he's always moving. And even the last season, I think this was the most amazing season for the church. Because people started asking the right questions. Who of you had good conversations with people about death, with people about eternity, with people about, okay, what's going to happen? If I, if I maybe die of COVID, what's going to happen to me? I think as a pastor, this has both been the worst and the best time. Because you see the suffering of people, you see the fear, the anxiety, but also you get to spend time with people answering the deep questions. And then obviously there were a little bit of, there were distractions also, so some people are very anti-vaccine, some people are very much for the vaccine, some people say if you don't take the vaccine you're stupid, some people say hey you need to listen to science, other people say hey what about the mark of the beast, and, and all of that by the way was a big distraction this year, last year, not this year, hopefully it's not going to be one this year, and I'm not saying you need to not delve into those topics, those controversial topics and study study science, study whatever God has given you, but I'm, I saw in our congregation that it became such a controversial topic that it kept us from really what God wanted to do. Because people wanted to talk about, hey, are you for the vaccine or not? Are you against the vaccine? Rather than, hey, how are you doing? What is God doing in your life? Can we maybe stop talking about what this scientist said or that YouTube clip said, let's talk about the Word. Let's talk about our mission, our purpose here on earth. Let's talk about our friends that are suffering. Hey, how can we reach out to the people around us? And um, so I'm very grateful that as, as Shofar, as a, a Shofar movement, we, we really felt that we just put out a letter there and I just maybe is putting out there this the beginning of this. Uh, this year, and, and we said, hey, you need to hear from the Lord. There's no biblical 
mandate or biblical requirement for you to get vaccinated or not or stand against the vaccine it is required from you to love God with everything in you and to love people and sometimes that means to keep quiet about your opinion sometimes it means it means to speak up about what you feel sometimes it means that hey we're not going to focus on this specific thing we're going to focus on what's really important for this specific person at this specific time great so that's something I felt for at the beginning of the sermon second thing that I felt it actually came out in the first service is that God loves you and you're not going to be able to understand and fully grasp what God wants to share with us through the word if you don't understand this is that God loves you God loves you he loves everything about you he loves your mannerisms he he loves the way that you wake up in the morning he loves the way that you look in the morning he he loves um, your hobbies he loves your personality he loves the way that he has put you together he loves everything about you and his desire is to be with you he loves you he loves you he loves you and we know the extent of his love is portrayed by Jesus his son dying on a cross giving everything so that we can experience that love not only in a in a coochie romantic way but actually experience it tangibly both in our emotions but also in our identity and also in our purpose to know that God loves us he backs us I remember sitting as a as a young pastor sitting next to the Easter of fear there in Salambosh just asking the Lord for revelation because I've been reading a lot of books and all these great pastors they have revelations about revelations about the end time revelations about the, what the Holy Spirit's doing revelations about the prophetic significance of the season when and the only thing that I heard the Lord saying was I love you Amo I love you I love you and, and to me it felt like he just repeated that and from that day onwards it's it's almost like a daily thing I love you hey, hey God I, I don't know what to do I love you God, no, I need, I need some strategy here. I love you, Amal. I love you. I love you. Because if you, if you don't understand that there's a God in heaven that's running after you, you know the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, he came walking back. The father ran towards him, overwhelmed him, embraced him, said, I love you. And hey, you messed up everything, but let's throw a party. Let's celebrate who you are. That is who God is. Some of you are waiting for other people to celebrate you. And you are going into this year and you're like, Hey, Lord, if my husband just once recognize what I'm doing for him, if my husband just once tell me again that he loves me like he used to say when we were younger, then I'll feel better. God says, Hey, that's good if your husband does that. Husbands, if you don't do that every day, you are missing the point. By the way, that's the definition of sin for the, in the New Testament. You're missing the point. You need to love your wife. And you need to tell her that you love her. And God's saying, hey, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. And you know what? If people, if you can see that they are loved, it's also easy for other people to love them. All of us, we, we need and we, 
we really desire relationship. But if you find your love in the Lord, if you find that those words and you realize what God says about you and how much He loves you, you also have good relationships with other people because you're not dependent on them to give you affirmation. You're not dependent on them to tell you, hey, you know what, your hairstyle, your hairstyle looks great. Hey, hey, you're actually doing well. You're not dependent on people. You're actually in a place, in a position where you can give. And that's, by the way, where we're going now with this sermon. Is that God is wanting us to do something. He's calling out for intercessors. If you know what the word intercession means. I didn't know until I went to Stellenbosch. And there was, I was privileged enough to be part of a great church called Shofar Stellenbosch. And then they would tell us, hey, you know what? You need to get the whole Stellenbosch saved. Every first year, every second year, every third year, every professor, all of them need to get saved. But where we're going to start is, we're going to do intercession. What's intercession? I've never heard that word. No, intercession is we get together on a Friday morning and we pray and we trust the Lord that He will help us to reach out to the people that are unsaved, and we're praying for our friends by name, we're praying for our lecturers by name, and we're trusting the Holy Spirit will send, uh, will be there with Himself and convict them of where they're at so they will come to Jesus. And it was quite intense prayer. We're like, Lord, we need, we need our families to get saved. We need our friends to get saved. And, and sort of that's, that's a great definition of, of intercession. And if you haven't been part of that, you've also missed the point. Where you're together with other people, you're like, hey, let's do something fun tonight. Let's draw up a list of all the people that need to meet with Jesus. Let's put them on a list. And we're going to pray for an hour and a half. Sort of the length of a Netflix movie. An hour and a half, we're just going to pray for them. We're going to say, Lord, blast them with your love. Blast them with your love. And Lord, our, our friends are, are getting, filing for divorce. Blast them with your love. Blast them with love. So that, that's sort of the definition of intercession when we just define intercession as a ministry that we do in church. But I want to even broaden that definition. By the way, that's good. Don't leave that for the, for the old ladies on a Friday morning or on a Monday morning. And by the way, old ladies, you are doing more than this that people ever recognize when you pray for people, when you're in the seat, when in the middle of the night, I often as a pastor, I get this message, middle of the night, ladies in our church are praying for me, praying for my family, sending me word. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm backed by the, the real mature Christians in our, in our congregation. Let's, let's make it a ministry for everybody. It's not a gift to the Holy Spirit. Intercession is not a gift to the Holy Spirit. Prayer is not a gift to the Holy Spirit. It's something that we're all called to do. And hopefully you'll see that now. So we know from, from Scripture that God is looking for intercessors. Because what happened in the Garden of Adam and Eve, or yeah, the Garden, Adam and Eve sinned, so they gave up their right to rule and reign on this, on this earth. They messed up. And because we are descendants, we're from this seed, we also lived up, we're living in this messed up world. It's messed up. Because our ancestors, Adam and Eve, they have given up their right to rule and reign. They have given up their, their right to, with the Lord, co-labor 
and advance or build the earth as God wanted it to be in the beginning. So through the scriptures, through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and still today, God's looking for a specific kind of person. And we see that being embodied in Jesus. We see that in Isaiah 59, 16, it speaks of God and it says, He, God, saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, I searched for a man among them who would build up a wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. I had a friend who said that's the saddest scripture in all of scripture. But I found no one. So something was messed up by human beings. Then we know that Jesus embodied that, the intercessor. And he came and he stood in the gap. And he said, hey, I'm going to be fully man. I'm going to be fully God. And I'm going to suffer on their behalf. And I'll pay the penalty of sin on the cross so that they will have access again to the Father's love, to everything that is in the heavens, so that they can advance God's kingdom. So Jesus is the ultimate intercessor. So God's putting it out there. There's a vacancy. He's saying, hey, I need more intercessors. I need people like Jesus. They will stand in the gap. And for me, a beautiful picture of that is, Aaron in time of Korah's rebellion, so they were rebelling against the leadership of Israel in number 16, and first Korah was, and his friends, they were swallowed up by the earth. And then as if the Israelites didn't get the message, the next day, many of them again come to, Mo, to Moses and to Aaron and say, hey, no, we still want to complain. And then we catch the story where Moses sends Aaron to go and get incense from the holy place to make atonement for them. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started. Because of their complaining, there was a plague that came upon them. But Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. So this is what Jesus did. He stood between the living and the dead. All of us were on our way to hell, on our way to the place where there's no godly presence. And then Jesus came and he stood between the living and the dead and he made a turn for us. So through Jesus, we have access to this place in the Father's heart, to this place that we call the kingdom, to the place that we refer to as heaven. So intercession means that once you are born again, you have the privileged position to go back to your old world, but now not as somebody that will be overwhelmed by the world and the sinfulness of this world and the pain and the suffering, but as an ambassador of heaven, you will come towards the world, which, by the way, is still under the rulership of the devil, and now you can actually affect change. Because you're not coming there in your own performance. You're not coming there in your own identity. You're coming there in a new identity. That identity is the identity of a son of God as an ambassador. So everything that the God has and that, that's represented by this idea of heaven and the kingdom is now 
accessible to you. So you can stand between the living and the dead. So there's just a, a diagram that I want to put up there, and I want you, in a way, screen grab this in the memory of your mind. So once you get saved, you are placed into heaven. And the fullness of God's reality is now becoming part of you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. John 14 talks of God wanting to make a home with us. That's his desire, to be in us. So now you're not living from earth, not overwhelmed by your emotions, not overwhelmed by your financial situation. You're not living from a place of, of where you're lower than low because everything has gone wrong in your life. No, you're living from a place of heaven. That is the highest reality in your life. So what's happening is you now know that you're loved. You now know that God is for you. You now know that you have authority. And then God sends you back to earth. And by the way, if you want to put it that correctly, it's just difficult to put it as a diagram in this form, is that heaven is now, is now here. Wherever people have access to the Lord in relationship through the born-again experience, that is where heaven is. I can walk into a ritual that, uh, of bunch of Satanists and I can bring heaven into that place. Why? Because I'm coming from the higher reality. I'm coming from heaven. And I have heaven in me. And then you can affect change because you're not under the rulership of Satan anymore. You're under the rulership of the Lord. And that is intercession. To say, wow, I have something to give to this world. I can step into that difficult family relationship and I have something to give. Not out of myself, but because I'm from heaven. I can step into that business. I can see the opportunity to change the world. Why? Because I come from heaven. We're not from this world, but we're in this world. So I want to share with you just three things that's part of the intercessor's job description. One is, and it's a beautiful picture that actually, in that metaphor that Aaron, where did he go first? Moses is like, okay, we, need, we have a problem. And all of you, I think, can identify a couple of problems in your surrounding. Say, Mo, Aaron, we have a problem. Where do we go first? We go to the holy place which represents the presence of God. So the first thing and the first job description and the first thing that you need to be serious about is to start soaking up the atmosphere of heaven. Else you will have no authority. Else you will have no ability to affect change in your surroundings. You'll just be changed by your surroundings. And we see a lot of Christians that that's what happens to a lot of Christians. That we just so blasted by the undercurrent of our culture and what's happening in the world, that we cannot be properly Christian. And properly Christian means to be like Jesus. And often that means in a contrary spirit, in a different spirit than what the world is busy just engaging with. So you soak up heaven and there are three things that's, that's important. You understand Jesus' atonement. So atonement is just a big word that speaks of 
everything that Jesus died for. And your mind and your heart needs to agree with that truth. If I asked you, what did Jesus die for? You would say, he died for my sins. Most of you believe that, if you're a Christian. But often people will say, hey, I agree with that in my mind, but I don't necessarily feel it in my heart. Because I messed up while I was in that marriage. I still have shame because of sexual things that I've done. I am still struggling with pornography, but hey, but you, you just said you believe in the atonement of Jesus. You believe that once you've confessed your sin, once you've repented, you are forgiven. So why are you still struggling there? It's because your heart and your mind's not in alignment with what is really happening in heaven. You have not soaked up the full extent of God's atmosphere that says Jesus has done it. I had the privilege of spending some time with, with a couple who came for marriage counseling. So I asked the problem. The problem was the husband slept with somebody that worked for him. Big problem. It's a massive problem. But you know what? Once that husband said, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, please forgive me. And he looks at his wife, and this is what they did. He looks at his wife and says, that was a horrible thing to do. I cannot believe I did it. I love you. Please forgive me. You know what happens in heaven? He is forgiven. He is completely forgiven. That is soaking up the atmosphere of heaven and then allowing for you to actually take that. You are forgiven. Too many Christians struggling with shame. Yes, there's consequences. Yes, there's trust that needs to be rebuilt. But in the reality, in the spirit, it is done. Second part is of soaking up God's, the presence of the Lord, is that you need to know that you're loved. Some Christians are just so insecure. You walk into a room, and it's that classic scenario where you're in the classroom, in front of the classroom, everybody laughs. And you think they're laughing at you. They're not laughing at you, they're laughing because somebody put the drag spiker up your friend's stool and he went and sat on the drag spiker so everybody's laughing but because of your insecurity you just think they're laughing at you. And a lot of Christians, we act in this way. We say, hey, they would come to me, hey, Omar, that guy doesn't love me. I'm like, why doesn't that guy love you? Why doesn't he like you? No, I've walked past him three times in church, he didn't greet me. You're insecure. You don't know the love of God. You maybe know that in your mind, but you don't know that in your heart. My grandfather used to say, people get so easily offended. And when he speaks about those people, he said, those people have such big feet, you can never miss their toes. It's like you give them a compliment, and in that compliment, they will read that you are criticizing them. Some of you know those people, some of you are those people. And you need to change. The way that you're going to change is to soak up the Father's love. God loves you. He loves you. He's fine with you just the way that you are. But He even loves you more than that. He's going to change you while you spend time with Him. Even without you noticing it. Everything about you is going to change. 
I love it spending time with, with uh, couples that are getting engaged and then getting married. And you can see in that atmosphere of love, both of them start shining. You'll even often physically, you'll see how the, the girl, how she prepares herself, how she's changing because of the love that she's received, because of the season of, hey, we're preparing to make a covenant before the Lord. We are preparing to give our best for the person that we are marrying. Beautiful. And that happens, should happen every day in your quiet time. So, soaking up the love of the Father. You can't do that without spending time with the Lord. And then the presence of the Holy Spirit, understanding the presence of the Holy Spirit is with you. He's always with you. Even if you feel like, hey, you're a horrible Christian, you can't pray in tongues, you've never heard a prophetic word. If you know that you are born again, you have the presence of the Lord with you, and God wants to do immeasurably more than what you can think or ask for through you. Through you, yes, you heard right. Through you. But you need to acknowledge that the presence of the Lord's in you. When I walk into a room, I know that the presence of the Lord's with me. When I, when I preach at a place, I know the presence of the Lord's with me. Therefore, I have something to give. When I counsel people with marriage problems, and they've been in, married for 34 years, and I've only been married for 13 years, I know I can give something, not because I'm more experienced than them, but because I have the Holy Spirit with him with me. And the same comes with the gifts. The same comes with the fruit of the Spirit. I know that I can be patient in the most difficult times. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit's in me and one of the fruit of the Spirit, fruits of the Spirit is patience. So soak up the presence of, of heaven. And then secondly, this is a very difficult part, is you need to identify with people. The only regret that I have of my time in high school, the only regret that I have is not understanding that God has placed me in my high school as an intercessor. I had this sort of regret moment and had to give it to the Lord again a couple of weeks ago where they're now starting to organize a 20-year, what um, is it, Rini. And then I just saw or heard how lost the people are that were with me in high school. I'm like, Lord, how did I miss it? I was supposed to be there as a missionary to them. And I constantly sense when I go there in that moment of regret, I ask, or the Lord comes to me and he says to me, Armel, but who are you now spending time with? Just change it now. Carry a burden for the people around you now. Who are the people that you can drag along with you into heaven, into the presence of the Lord? Who are the people that God has given you as friends that you know that are far from the Lord? Who are those people? And, and go into their worlds, identify with them. Be, be willing to suffer with them, to experience the agony, because that's what Jesus did. He came to this world and he suffered everything that we suffered. And he modeled for us what intercession should really be. And, and sometimes it will look like you being woken up at 2 o'clock in the morning and you, don't, you cannot sleep for two hours. You're just praying to the Lord and God gives you a burden for somebody that's actually not a good friend. And you just pray for that person. You pray for that person. You pray for that person. You pray for that person. 
But once the breakthrough comes, you know that intercession has prevailed because you now love this person. You felt it in your body. You felt the death. You felt the despair. You felt the depression. You felt the anxiety. You felt the fear of that person. And therefore you are, are more useful in the kingdom. So I get to hear all people's really messed up stories. And there's messed up stories out there. And that's why I love my job, because I can always say, you know what, we have to believe that Jesus died for this. There's a, there's a girl in our, in our church recently shared with the whole congregation, we've been walking a road with her, but she was raped by a dad um, for a long period, up until nine years. She went to church, the pastor came to her and said, just this, only interaction with the pastor. God knows about your secret." She went back home, told her mom, her dad's raping her, went to the psychologist at school. Next week, the dad's in prison. Amazing story of the faithfulness of the Lord. She comes to me. She's now 22. We're talking, talking about eternity. We're doing a series on eternity. And she said, Elmo, I just felt the Lord said to me, if I'm not going to share my story with everybody, then I've suffered in vain. This is a story that everybody needs to know of. She takes the mic, everybody's crying, and she shares what a dad did to her, but more importantly, what a dad in heaven did for her. So I, I hear these stories all the time, and often you can get numb to these stories. And when I don't feel, when I don't, then don't feel like I can identify with them as from the point where, where I know how God feels about them, then I, says, then I tell the Lord, Lord, please help me to feel. What are they going through? Because I know from that place, I'll have more authority. And then the last one, sorry, just to add to that, identify with people with no, no compromise. No compromise. Holiness and purity brings brings power into your ministry as an intercessor. Thirdly, take authority. Enforce Christ's victory and own your God-given territory. So we do a lot of deliverance in our, in our church. So deliverance is when somebody has a demon, they would come to you and then you help them through a process to understand that that's not what God has for you. He wants to drive this evil thing out. So how we do it is we look the person in the eye and then I would say in the name of Jesus, spirit of anxiety, leave. Or spirit of pornography, leave. Or, or lust or whatever rejection, leave in the name of Jesus. So we would counsel that person, but that, there comes that place, that time, where I now as just a pastor, a mere human being, with no authority really over demons, where I need to enforce Jesus' victory. So I make them stand up, I look them in the eye, and then I take up my territory that God has given me through the cross, and I say, in the name of Jesus, so in other words, in the authority of Jesus Christ, not in Amos' authority, because I don't have authority, in the name of Jesus' authority, you will leave. And that's an easy example to, to, to understand because 
We know demon manifest. We know that's not the person in the name of Jesus out. But there's some of you need, need to confront situations. You need to confront something in your life, in your sphere of influence, with your friends, with your husband, your parents. You say, listen here, this cannot go on longer. I'm going to call it out right now. You are destroying your life by being so drunk every weekend. That's intercession. Intercession is always, everybody is praying about the orphans. Everybody is praying about, hey, we need to get homes for the fatherless. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be like Vatican originally. I'm going to adopt a baby. That's intercession. Everybody is talking about the immorality amongst young people. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to confront young people the moment that they are getting into a relationship, I'm going to start walking a road with him. Not trying to be better knowing than him, but I'm going to walk a road with him. I'm going to take them in, in my house. I'm going to teach them the principles of relationships. And I'm going to make sure that we're going to marry thousands of thousands of young people that's going to stand at the altar and they're going to be pure, undefiled virgins. That's intercession. Intercession is also, hey, I, have, I cannot do too much. I cannot give anything to the church, but I'm going to choose a family in my neighborhood and I'm going to go to them and I'm going to say, hey, what are the things that you need to pray, you need prayer for? Give me a list. What are you struggling with? And every week, I don't want anything. You don't have to give me any kind of feedback, nothing. All I want is the list. I'm going to pray for you. I don't want to feel good about myself. I'm just going to pray for you every single day. And we, we have people in our congregation like that. Every week I get a message. Hey, Amo, give me my list. How's it going with your kids? What's happening at school? How's it going with your sports? What are the needs? I don't want anything, Amo. Just give me the list. You haven't given me the list, Amo. Please give it to me. I need to pray for them. So God's asking of us, to be intercessors. So let's stand. And it's really, the, it's the fun part. It's this idea that God can work with us. He wants to work with us. He's your partner in crime, in the good crime. And all he wants is a yes. You don't know, you don't need to know everything. I told the story in the first service also. My, my children, they are great intercessors. I don't know the scriptures that well. I don't even think they know what the term intercession means, but they are great intercessors. So we send them, my wife and I, we send them into the school. They are missionaries. And they represent not only the Kennedy name, they also represent God of heaven. And then every now and then you get feedback. You're like, thank you, Jesus. So one son's teacher is also a Christian and they do worship every morning in class. 
normal, not a, it's an old Model C, normal provincial school. And on his report, with the emblem of the Western Cape Education Department, it said there where they can add some extra detail about what your son is doing, how well he's behaving. It said, Nicholas is a good boy who loves to worship the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The other day, Nicholas came back and he said, Dad, something great happened in the class. We were worshiping in, and one of the, my friends in class, a girl, she just started crying. And the teacher explained to the whole class and said, hey, she's just encountering God's love. And then apparently he stood up and he said, hey, don't worry. I had a similar experience at a men's camp. What happened in the men's camp? He, just, he was playing at the back and we're doing a session. And the end, I called him and said, hey, Nicholas, let's go and get a prayer from the holy people up front. So I dragged him along and we stood there and Pete prayed for him and he started crying. He wouldn't stop crying for 30 minutes. He still doesn't want to talk about it because it's so intimate. But he is an intercessor. And he doesn't even know what it means to be an intercessor. He's standing in the gap. He's bringing heaven into his classroom. Little Nicholas that cries when he can't get what he wants. He's an intercessor. All of you are more mature than my little son. All of you. So you can be an intercessor. So I want you to close your eyes and I want you to, to say, Lord, should I say yes? It's, it's actually it's a command, but... There's grace, so God never forces himself on his people. He asks you, hey, are you willing to say yes? And then are you willing to also pay the sacrifice of suffering the agony, of understanding sometimes you want to go away for a weekend, but you know you need to spend time with your friend and to hear those issues again, and you need to stand in the gap again, but you just want to be in a comfortable place. Are you willing to pay the sacrifice to suffer the agony? And if, if you want to say yes today, by the way, all of heaven bears witness to this yes. It's like making a covenant of the Lord. He hears what you're saying. The Bible says, let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. If your yes, if it's a yes, you want to do this, then think of competency. Just think of willingness. If you're willing to say yes, out loud, just say yes. Thank you, Jesus, for these many yeses. Now I want you to go to your friends in your mind, to your family, the people that God has called you to, the people in your sphere of influence, your classmates, your, your business partners, that do not know Jesus. See their faces in front of you. And ask the Lord, Lord, I want you to Give me a heart for these people. What is your heart for these people? And maybe you want to make it real, really real. Think of, and 
most of us have that kind of discernment. If they die today, are they going to heaven? The way that they're doing life now, will they be good parents? Will their kids one day say, yes, that friend of mine was a great dad. If not, then you need to start praying. You need to start interceding. You need to start maybe even confronting. Say, hey, stop that. Stop what you're doing. Not because I, I want to judge you, because I love you. Listen to me. I love you. I'm reading Sia's, Sia Kulise's autobiography. I'm going to end off with this. I know I'm making you stand for a very long time now. And he was bubbleless on a Sunday morning. Already married, so his wife says, Today, you're going to come to church with me. How's that? For taking up your authority, being an intercessor. Today, in this drunken state, you're going to come with me to church. So they went to Hillsong in Cape Town. And there was a sign up saying, baptisms today. And he got baptized on that day. He still faltered a couple of, for a couple of years, for two years or so. And then he was introduced to a mentor. And the mentor said to him, hey, Sia, you're going to strip clubs. You're drinking with the boys. You're flirting with other women. On Instagram, it says that you're a Christian, but you're not a Christian. Intercession. And he stopped. And then the story goes on and, and how his wife prayed for him to be ready for the, for the World Cup and how his wife said to him, hey, let's cancel November before the World Cup because everybody is going to want to have a piece of you in that November in 2019 because you're going to win the World Cup because that's what God wants to do in your life to give you a platform so that you can be an intercessor for the nation. Close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the massive, the massive love that you have for these people. And thank you for all the people that are represented by these people here today, Lord. The families, the businesses, the business partners, Lord. Those friends from high school, the neighbors, the neighborhoods, the towns, the cities, the nations that are represented the subcultures, the hippies, the yuppies, the rich people, the poor people, the Zimbabweans, the nations, the black, the cause of the white, Afrikaans, arrogant, religious, everybody is represented in this room today, Lord. And we say thank you, Lord, that we have a foot in the door with our friends, with our people, because we love them, and we cry out for our love, and we cry out that you will use us to bring them into the kingdom. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you need prayer, if you don't know that God loves you, come forward. If you need prayer, if you need the power, the endowment of heaven to actually go and be an intercession, an intercessor, also come forward. We would love to pray for you. And for any other kind of need, we are just standing in the gap. We're just intercessors. And we know that when we speak, we are enforcing heaven's culture what's true in heaven, and it will happen. Because that's how 
Jesus operates. That's what he wants. Amen.